The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. That is a rise in Treasury yields, Karen, and it comes after more clues that a March rate cut is not in the cards for the Federal Reserve. In an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes with Scott Pelley, Fed Chair Jay Powell said policymakers will likely wait beyond next month to cut interest rates. I think it's not likely that this committee will reach that level of confidence in time for the March meeting, which is in seven weeks. How would you characterize the consensus around this table for rate cuts? Is everyone on board? Almost all. Almost all of the uh, 19 participants who sit around this table uh, believe that it will be appropriate in their most likely case for us to cut the, the federal funds rate this year. That was Fed Chair Jerome Powell in an interview on 60 Minutes from CBS. He says officials are looking for more economic data to confirm that inflation is headed down to 2%. Well, Nathan, we turn now to the latest in the Middle East. The White House is promising more strikes on Iranian forces and proxies after three straight days of punishing attacks. But National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan insists the U.S. won't be pulled into a regional conflict. We cannot rule out that there will be further attacks from Iranian-backed militias in Iraq and Syria or from the Houthis. We have to be clear-eyed about that. And the president, in being clear-eyed about that, has told his military commanders that they need to be positioned to respond to further attacks as well. And Jake Sullivan was a guest on ABC's This Week. And as the U.S. confronts Iran, it's also pushing for an extended pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas to allow for more hostage releases from Gaza. Sullivan says the prospects for a deal are not imminent. Israel has, in fact, put forward a proposal. And as Qatar has indicated publicly, uh, the ball is in Hamas's court at this time. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan made those comments on Face the Nation from CBS. Meanwhile, Karen, in Washington, senators have reached a deal to provide more funds for border security and aid for Ukraine. But there are still some hurdles. Bloomberg's Amy Morris has details from Washington. Senate leaders on both sides of the aisle backed the more than $118 billion compromise with the first procedural vote set for Wednesday. President Biden says he strongly supports it, adding it would give him more authority to shut down the border while making the asylum process fair and more efficient. House Speaker Mike Johnson called the 370-page bill dead on arrival in the House, which sparked reaction from Republican Senator James Lankford, who helped craft the deal. I'm a little confused how it's worse than I expected when it builds border wall, expands deportation, flights, expands ICE officers, Border Patrol officers, uh, how it creates a faster process for deportation. But Speaker Johnson says it just doesn't go far enough. And House Majority Leader Steve Scalise says it won't even come to a vote in the House. In Washington, Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Amy, thanks. Sticking with politics, former President Donald Trump says he might impose a new tariff on Chinese goods if elected. And Bloomberg Daybreak Asia anchor Brian Curtis has more from Hong Kong. Trump told The Washington Post he might impose a 60 percent tariff on Chinese imports. He told Fox News Sunday Morning Futures it could be even more. I'm not looking to hurt China. I want to get along with China. I think it's great. But 
They've really taken advantage of our country, and we turned it around. The comments add to a long list of concerns for investors of Chinese assets. Goldman Sachs has said that a Trump re-election is among the most frequently asked questions. Trump also weighed in on Nippon Steel's move on U.S. Steel. U.S. Steel. You know what a name that is? That's the most important name. 50 years ago, there was no company like U.S. Steel. Now that Japan is buying it. I don't think I'd let that deal go through, by the way. Donald Trump on Fox. In Hong Kong, I'm Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Brian, thank you. And other news involving China, policymakers are pledging to stabilize the country's slumping equity market. The China Securities Regulatory Commission says it would guide more medium and long-term funds into the market and crack down on illegal activities. Some $7 trillion has been erased from the value of Chinese and Hong Kong equities since their peaks in early 2021. Well, in company news this morning, Nathan, another setback for Boeing involving its 737 MAX jet. Let's get the latest from Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. It's yet another manufacturing slip-up, Karen. Boeing has found mistakes with rivet holes in the fuselage of 50 undelivered 737s. Their supplier, Spirit Aerosystems, believe responsible. There have been a string of manufacturing lapses at Boeing, including a near-catastrophic panel blowout last month. Well, the FAA has stepped up scrutiny of Boeing and has capped 737 production until the quality improves. Our shares right now down 2.3% pre-market. John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio. And John, we're going to be watching shares of Amgen as well, an experimental weight loss shot from the drug maker that's taken less frequently than wildly popular treatments from Eli Lilly and Nova Nordisk appears to keep weight off even after patients stop taking it. An early stage study in the journal Nature Metabolism says patients who got a monthly injection of Amgen's drug dubbed Maritide lost up to 14.5% of weight in just 12 weeks. Some people kept it off up to 150 days after stopping the drug. Well, Nathan, in the entertainment world, the records keep coming for Taylor Swift. She won Album of the Year at the Grammys for Midnight's. For me, the, the award is the work. All I want to do is keep being able to do this. I love it so much. It makes me so happy. The win from Swift on last night's CBS broadcast breaks a Grammy's record for most wins in the category with four. Finally, Karen, a couple business executives have been added to Harvard University's governing board. Former Merck CEO Ken Frazier and KKR co-CEO Joseph Bay are joining. That says Harvard continues to deal with intense scrutiny and criticism from alumni, lawmakers and faculty over its handling of on-campus anti-Semitism. Nathan, thanks. It's time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. House Speaker Mike Johnson says a Republican-backed effort to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas is completely different from the Democratic-backed impeachment of former President Trump. We have followed the facts where they have led, not for political purposes, not because we take pleasure in this. It's, a, again, a heavy thing to, to look at the impeachment of a president or a cabinet secretary. Johnson tells NBC's Meet the Press the Republican-led committees have methodically gone through the impeachment process and determined Mayorkas broke the law. The vote on the articles of impeachment was strictly a party-line vote, but Johnson says it's still not for political purposes. Nikki Haley was back on the campaign trail in her home state of South Carolina yesterday, fresh off her surprise campaign on Saturday Night Live. Addressing a crowd of about a 1,000 people on Daniel Island in Charleston, Haley continued to attack her chief rival, former President Donald Trump. But you got to acknowledge the fact he can't win a general election. 
So you can vote for him all day long and he can come out of this primary, but he won't win a general. The South Carolina Republican presidential primary will be held February 24th. But the Democratic primary in South Carolina was Saturday and President Biden was victorious in the first Democratic presidential primary in the nation. He saw an overwhelming victory over Congressman Dean Phillips and author Marianne Williamson. President Biden then spent time campaigning in Las Vegas, Nevada, where he talked about the naysayers who were convinced a recession is around the corner. How many times you hear when I first got elected president, my policy, we're going to bring a recession next month, every month. None of them are saying it anymore. President Biden's stop came two days before Nevada's Democratic presidential primary. California Governor Gavin Newsom is declaring a state of emergency for eight counties in Southern California. Newsom says high winds and heavy rains have already impacted several areas of Southern California. The state has already mobilized a record 8,500 state-coordinated emergency response assets ready to respond to potential flooding and landslides. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Network. Now, I'm Amy Morris, and this is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thanks. We do bring you news throughout the day right here on Bloomberg Radio. But now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines right at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. 534 on Wall Street. Time now for a look at the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stashauer. John. Karen, the World Cup soccer is coming to North America in 2026, and a lot of cities were lining up to host the championship game. The winner, East Rutherford, New Jersey. MetLife gets it despite Dallas having a bigger stadium. They'll get a semifinal game, so will Atlanta. Miami will host the bronze medal game. The first game involved with the United States will be in L.A. Las Vegas hosting the Super Bowl for obviously the first time. The Chiefs and 49ers arrived last night. We'll start meeting the media this evening. Patrick Mahomes. May get asked about his father, the former Mets pitcher Pat Mahomes, has got a DWI in Tyler, Texas. He was learned it's the third one he's received and that he served 40 days in jail in 2018. They played the Pro Bowl. It was flag football on a 50-yard field in Orlando. And for what it's worth, the NFC won 64-59 with Baker Mayfield, the Tampa Bay QB, the MVP. Eli Manning coaching the NFC to victory over his brother. The currently unemployed Bill Belichick took out a full-page ad in Sunday's Boston Globe expressing his gratitude to Patriots fans. They couldn't play golf at Pebble Beach yesterday and won't even try today, so it's the first PG event since 2016. Rain shortened Wyndham Clark off that sensational third round of 60. Gets his first victory since he won the U.S. Open last year. College basketball battle for first place in the Big Ten. Second-ranked Purdue won at sixth-ranked Wisconsin, 75-69. to Also in the Big Ten, Illinois beat Nebraska. Pac-12, Arizona knocked off Stanford. Big East, Villanova beat Providence. John Stanshower, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com, this is Bloomberg Daybreak. 
Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. That first cut from the Fed might have to wait till after March. That's what we heard from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, reiterating a message we heard from the January meeting in his first interview with CBS's 60 Minutes since 2021, when inflation was just starting to surge. But with price pressures now on the decline for nearly a year, Jay Powell was asked, why not cut now? We want to see more evidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2%. We have some confidence in that. Our confidence is rising. We just want some more confidence before we take that very important step of of beginning to to cut interest rates. And again, that was Fed Chair Jay Powell, an interview airing last night on CBS's 60 Minutes. For more, we're joined by Lori Calvacina, the head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. This is a message that we've heard before from this chairman and from policymakers uh, across the Fed. Lori, is there a read through to stocks uh, from what we're getting from this Federal Reserve? I think that, you know, in terms of the pushback on the March expectations over at RBC, we've been a little bit confused why those March expectations were there to begin with. Our team's call has always been uh, for a June uh, start of the cutting cycle. Um, I do think, though, you have to pay attention to what was priced into the market. And we are sitting at a point where there was a lot of excitement about rate cuts in 2024 that was baked into the stock market in that monster fourth quarter rally we've seen. We've got sentiment indicators that are sitting around a sort of dangerous levels right now, or worrisome levels, at least in the short term. And so it wouldn't you know, surprise me if this does have a little bit of a negative impact in the short term, but I would say overall doesn't really do anything to derail our constructive view on the year. You pushed yourself back a bit by saying that uh, sentiment's at dangerous levels. Uh, what's got you concerned about where sentiment is right now? So the one, you know, where I would maybe apply the more sort of dangerous term um, would be looking at the weekly CFTC data, which, frankly, if you look at buy side positioning in U.S. equity futures and you combine all the contracts together, um, we're actually sitting above levels that we saw back in early 2018 and 2020, um, as well as, you know, well above the highs, frankly, of 2021 and 2022. Um, So you see major indications of frost there. When you look at the AAII survey, which is an indicator I like a little bit better, we have more history on that. We can do more backtesting. That one's been hovering around one standard deviation above the long-term average in terms of net bullishness. Got there early December, was sitting there early January. It's pulled back just a little bit, so it's right below that one standard deviation mark right now. That one is telling you to be looking out for a short-term pullback in the equity market, but more like a 6.5% gain on the year. So not quite as worrisome as that institutional data set from CFTC. How big a a pullback could we see, though, uh, given what you're seeing in those indicators. You know, we haven't put a number on it. I would say that anytime you start thinking about pullbacks in the U.S. equity market, you know, kind of a garden variety, something that's typical and nothing to get too concerned about, would be anywhere from, say, 5% to 10%. And that's, you know, really kind of looking at an outlier. You get anything beyond 10%, you're really kind of getting into growth scare territory. And we actually think the economy is still on pretty solid footing. So I wouldn't be looking for anything nefarious like that. What are you hearing from uh, companies as they report earnings about their outlook for the economy? We've seen so many strong indicators of how this economy has been able to perform up to now. What's the outlook uh, that you're hearing? So I would say 
say, you know, we, we read through a lot of transcripts, and the thing we've written the last couple of weeks in our weekly is just that the, the commentary on the outlook and the macro backdrop is just very varied at this point in time. So on the one hand, you have a lot of companies who are talking about stabilization, who are talking about resilience, about consumers moving things around and being judicious, but not uh, really showing any, you know, significant signs of weakness. On the other hand, you do have some companies, and, and we actually had one company last week use the word dismal, um, you know, but really highlighting the uncertainty, the geopolitical risks, uh, the longer lead times in terms of getting deals sealed. Um, so it really is, is, is varied, uh, to be honest. And you even see that within industries. All right. So in our last minute, Lori, we're getting into the heart of earnings season here. Another very busy week when it comes to uh, reporting season. What's your expectation based on what we've heard so far? So I think that we're getting more sector color. We're going to have a better sense of the sector of winners and losers in another week or so. Um, but really, the, the reactions to the earnings beats in aggregate haven't been, you know, that uh, that significant, to be honest. We're seeing more muted reactions than what we typically see. So I think investors are looking for color on costs, margins, um, and that sort of thing. But I think, to be honest, this is just a reporting season. We've got to work through where we adjust numbers down a little bit, get some slightly more realistic expectations in, and then we can move on. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.